King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all of the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, 
Belshazzar, his son, have not yet humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and, to, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds you in his hands, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Meany, Meany, Tekel, Parson. Here's what these words mean. Meany, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you watch out our, over our going out and our coming in. You set up kings and you bring them down. Loving Lord, you are ruler of all, you are sovereign, and so this morning we declare you are sovereign over our lives. So we invite you to come in and speak to us now as we study your word. We pray that my words might be your words this morning. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said, Amen. The ancient city of Babylon was the center of the known universe, really. It was a great and mighty city. It was considered impregnable to attack. The ancient Jewish historian Herodotus uh, said that its walls were between 50 and 60 miles long. He said they were about 80 to 90 feet thick and about up to 300 feet high. Now, given that Herodotus was known to exaggerate, we can factor that in. But even still, it was nevertheless a great and mighty city. It was considered that the walls were so big, so strong, they took particular pride in their walls. They were feeling pretty comfortable at this point in history, despite the fact that the Medes and the Persians are now starting to rise up and to challenge the power of Babylon. The context of today's story is that King Belshazzar is now on the throne. 30 years have passed since last week's story about King Nebuchadnezzar being humbled and made to go out and to live like an ox, like a wild animal. Such was his arrogance that God humbled him. So there is a new king on the throne. And not only that, the text says that Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son, but really that's the ancient, ancient's way of saying that he was his, his descendant. There'd been several kings in between those two mighty kings. And that's the first little lesson for us here this morning. Even the silence of Scripture, I think there's a little message for us. Daniel's message over and over and over again is kingdoms will come and go. Empires will come and go. But God is sovereign. He keeps hitting that message time and time again. 
So the historians tell us, you know what? Between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, there was about four different kings that had come and gone. Daniel doesn't even mention them. They're not even worthy of, of, of a mention. Even a great mighty king and emperor, the most important person in the world, doesn't even get a mention. What's going to be your legacy? When you think into the future, what, what are you going to leave behind? And most of us here, I don't think, are going to end up being kings or queens. So what, what, are, what mark are we going to leave on history? The reality is, of course, some of us may get a bit of a paragraph in a history book here or there, but ultimately, what are our lives really going to mean? And I'm asked to uh, preside at, at a funeral, to, to, to have the great honour of a family asking me to preside at a funeral of a loved one. If they are a particularly strong Christian family and, and the person we're giving thanks for was particularly strong in their faith and I, and I knew them and I have a little bit of licence, I will sometimes go quite hard at a funeral and they ask me to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I will say things like, Where, in a hundred years' time, who's going to care about the stuff that you're worried about now. Even just a hundred years' time, all new humans, none of us are going to be here in a hundred years' time, a fresh new batch of humans every hundred years. So what's it all going to matter? What does it all mean? How are you going to make your life eternally significant if even Babylonian emperors don't even rate a mention? I think, friends, there's another way of finding eternal significance and purpose, isn't there? than being found in ancient history books. That's the first little lesson here. 30 years have gone, new king is on the throne, and King Belshazzar is quite arrogant. He hasn't learnt the lesson of his grandfather, actually his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. He's just as arrogant, just as proud, just as haughty, and so he decides that even though the Medes and the Persians are bearing down on his empire, the wars are already raging, they're constantly at war with these Medes and these Persians. Babylon's been the power for about 100 years, but here come the next empire about to roll in, he says, forget that. I'm going to show my might and power by throwing the biggest party you've ever seen, a thousand of the beautiful people, the king, the nobles, all of his wives and his concubines together in the same room, having a huge party. The scholars suggest that maybe Belshazzar was trying to prove himself, that I'm, I know about what happened to grandfather, but I am not going to allow myself to be overthrown and defeated. He was trying to show that he was mighty and powerful by throwing this huge big banquet. And not only that, in his pride, he went and got all of the objects from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had carted off uh, the God's people in the year about 586, 587 B.C., that happened decades ago. He went through a party and got all of the goblets and was drinking out of them. Belshazzar is mocking the God of Daniel. He's mocking the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's mocking God, saying, this is what I think of you. I've defeated your kingdom. I've sacked your temple. I've defeated your people. And now I'm drinking from your golden goblets. And who are they toasting? These false gods, these pagan gods, these gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood, these deaf and dumb idols. So his pride leads to sacrilege, leads to out-and-out -out idolatry. 
Still the same today. The beautiful people still will gather for their fancy dinner parties and ignore God, think that, that they are the source of their own power and might and majesty. You still read about the society pages in the paper, don't you? All the beautiful people who gather together. Uh, you still read about it today. Uh, Aussies, modern Aussies, gathering together this morning out in the cafes, ignoring God, not realising that he gives them their very breath. That's when things get really interesting. They're there partying, they're toasting these false gods, this idolatry, and what appears to be a human finger, a human hand appears and starts writing on the wall. Now, Belshazzar is terrified. I think I would be too. When you look down through Scripture, whenever there's any sort of supernatural event, an angelic appearance, the first thing the angels always have to say is, don't be afraid. Belshazzar is terrified. He can't work out what is happening. Now, the NIV politely puts it that his knees started knocking. If you've got it open in front of you, you'll see that if you've got the NIV uh, and many of the modern translations, it says he became pale, he lost his colour, he's drained of his colour. He was terrified and his knees started knocking. Now, that's a polite way of saying what, the tra- what a more literal translation of the text actually means. It actually says uh, that he lost control uh, of, uh, of his joints, of his lower joints, right? He's actually saying the joints of his loins were loosened. So let you work out what that really means. King Belshazzar, the mighty king, who's thrown a lavish party for a thousand of his best mates of the highest and the mightiest, the prettiest and the best, he's literally a mess. Such is his fear about what has about to happen. It must have been incredibly humbling for him at this point. He doesn't seem too worried. He calls in, however, his astrology. He says, please work this out. All the ancient Babylonian ghost buses. Here they are again, the astrologers and the diviners. They're called in. Please try to explain it. Of course, uh, they can't. And we're told then that he gets even more scared. He gets even more pale. He's even more terrified at this point. And then enter the one person in this story who seems to have a little bit of sense, and that's the queen. Probably the queen mother, the scholars think, because she remembers Daniel. Daniel, by this stage, is an old man. Remember, he's probably been the equivalent of prime minister, but he hasn't been at this party, and that tells us something as well. Daniel was greatly honoured. He was promoted and promoted to effectively be what we might call a premier or a a prime minister, perhaps. But he's not at this gathering. So Daniel, although he was well-respected, didn't take part. Remember, he resolved not to defile himself. So he's still setting some boundaries, which is important to note. He wasn't actually at this great feast. He calls him in, gets Daniel in. The queen recommends Daniel, says, look, there's someone in your kingdom. And there's an interesting quote that how she describes him, by the way. She says, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, grandfather, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. The way Daniel is described is in things in terms of light and understanding and knowledge and wisdom and the ability to solve problems. Friends, these are messianic terms. 
If you look at Isaiah 11, for example, they all line up. Friends, the Old Testament is always pointing us towards Jesus. Daniel here is sort of a, a prototype of the Messiah. The Old Testament is always wanting to draw us closer to Jesus, to, to cast our eyes to Jesus. I read a wonderful description this week that the Old Testament is a little bit like the swaddling clothes that present Jesus to us. When you read the Old Testament, uh, I remember the first time I did it, I was amazed. At, that's Jesus. That's clearly describing Jesus. The Old Testament paves the way, draws us in to, to the coming Messiah. So Daniel here is a, is a bit of a prototype, a bit of a, a bit of a precursor to Jesus, to the Messiah. Still arrogant, though, even though he's a bit of literally a mess, King Belshazzar says, I'm going to, if you can solve this, Daniel, I'll give you great riches, have a gold chain, a bit of bling, a purple robe. Daniel says, King, keep your fancy bling. Keep it all. That's not important to me. But I am going to tell you what this means. He goes on and explains to the king. He gives him a bit of a, gives him a, bit of a history lesson first. He, he tells him, reminds him about what happened to his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, that we heard about last week. He said, this is what happened to your grandfather because he was proud and haughty, and this is what happened. He had to go and live like an ox out in the paddock, out in the fields, dew falling on him. And, and then he says, importantly, until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. That's verse 21. So Daniel gives him a history lesson. First. I'm going to tell you what this means, king, but first know this. Here's what happened to your grandfather until he cast his eyes towards heaven and acknowledged that God is king, God is sovereign. But he goes on and he smashes Belshazzar. Daniel's being quite bold at this point in time. He's given him the history lesson. At this point, Belshazzar must be thinking, oh, crikey, this is me, isn't it? And Daniel doesn't let him off the hook. He keeps going in verse 23. But you, Belshazzar, and listen to all the... Listen to how pointed this is. This is Daniel speaking truth to power. This is Daniel saying, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, even though you knew all of the history about granddad. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets of his temple brought to you, and you and all your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank with them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of wood and iron, uh, which cannot hear or understand, but you did not honour the God who holds in his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent this hand and wrote the description. You, you, you. It's very easy. And I'm inclined to do this too. Is when you think about criticism, you think about it in general terms. Oh, we as a nation, as a people, we need to get this right. You've got to bring it back to being about you sometimes, don't you? And that's what Daniel does. This isn't just a society's thing. It's not just societies to blame. King, you are responsible. You, you, you. It's the same still today. We make it all about ourselves. It's not all about you. Stop making it all about you. So Daniel was courageously speaking the truth. He says, you're without excuse. You knew all of this and you did it anyway. Romans 1 tells us that all men are without excuse. One of my favourite Bible verses is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has set eternity in the human heart. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have a sense that there's something more. We have a sense of eternity within us. We are without excuse. We can look at the wonders of creation and know that there is more 
to this life. He goes on to explain what these three little words actually mean. Um, many, uh, tekel and peres, basically meaning, king, you are done. You've been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided. It's not going to end well for you. The king is impressed, tries to heap all these uh, gifts upon Daniel, still acting quite arrogantly. Really what's happening here is trying to bribe God, isn't he? He doesn't repent or do anything like that. He thinks he can buy God off. Look, maybe if I sort of give the, this God fella a gold chain and a purple robe, then he'll realise that I'm a pretty good guy. Again, friends, I see Ozzy's doing this all the time, trying to buy God off with trinkets, trying to say, oh, look, I gave 20 bucks of the Red Shield appeal. I'm a good fella. Again, I do funerals for these Aussies all the time. Fooled themselves into thinking that they were good people because they paid their taxes and therefore somehow God owes them and that they, you know, he has to let them into heaven. They're kidding themselves. Stop trying to buy God off with your trinkets. He's not interested in your trinkets. He wants your heart. He wants you to surrender your heart over to him today. The end of the story is that his life was indeed demanded of him that very night. The king dies that night. There's no sense that there was any sort of repentance happening tragically. But the bigger picture that the story doesn't go into is that the historians tell us that the Medo-Persian Empire about that time did indeed come knocking right on Babylon's door. Their walls were indeed mighty and they were indeed impregnable. But what they did was they diverted the Euphrates River, which was running underneath the walls of Babylon, diverted it away, and they simply walked on in underneath the walls of Babylon and took the city. One empire fell and another one was given birth. All the while through it, Daniel remained. Daniel remained to serve yet another king as the Babylonian Empire gave way to the Medo-Persian Empire. Next week we're hearing about Daniel's most famous or infamous episode under King Darius, a Persian king. Kings come and go. Human beings come and go. But God's purposes remain. They will outlive you and I. They will outlive this modern Australian state. And let's ask ourselves, is the writing on the wall for Australia? What do we need to hear? But more importantly, what do you and I need to hear? Let's heed this message from Daniel here, this warning to this great king. What do we personally, what does Pete Chapman need to hear today? Where do I need to repent and, and step off my own throne and, and acknowledge God as my, as my Lord and as my king? The bad news for Belshazzar and indeed for all of us is that we will all one day be weighed <laughs> We will all one day be measured and, and found wanting. We all, like sheep, have turned astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. The good news in Jesus Christ is that he has paid the price for us all through his atoning death on the cross. Jesus has provided us with a path so that even though the scales will not be favourable to us on that day, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are washed whiter than the snow. So we will one day be weighed and found wanting. But if you are in Christ, friend, hear this good news. If you're in Christ, you will hear these words. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you no matter what. All of the stuff that was hurtful, all the stuff that was divisive, it's been dealt with once and for all at the cross of Christ. My son has taken it all upon himself and exchanged it for his righteousness. You are washed clean, whiter than the snow. You are eternally mine. Come and take your place in your eternal dwelling place at my side. Won't that be wonderful news to hear on that day, friend? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to heed this word of warning. Lord, we are not kings and queens in this place here this morning. But nevertheless, help us to understand that the message is indeed for all of us. That our days are numbered. That our time here upon this earth is indeed finite. Help us to realise that we each will one day face judgement. So thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his atoning sacrifice. Thank you that he has paid the price for my sins. Thank you that through his blood, through his broken body on the cross, we are made right. We are reconciled with you. Please help us to make the decision this day to surrender our lives to you, the eternal God. Help us to live not for the things of this world, but help us to live for eternity. You've placed it in our hearts, Lord. May each of us grab hold of eternity, grasp it, own it for ourselves through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.